Ladies, 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 I've got another freaking awesome episode in store for you today. We're looking at narcissists from a slightly different angle and talking about sleeping with the enemy. Okay, if you're married or dating a narcissist, maybe they're not a full-fledged enemy, but it's not a stretch to say that they are the enemy to your confidence, to your sanity, and to your ability to actually love yourself and thrive. So my guest today, Dr. Becky Spellman, joins me to break down 13 signs that you've been sleeping with a narcissist for sure. And if you've been a victim to multiple toxic relationships, she explains why transitioning to healthy relationships is a challenge and can feel super boring. But Dr. Spellman is a psychologist and mental health advocate with some spicy insight to sex with narcissists. And in this two-part conversation, we dive in to why making you climax and scream their name one minute gets so confusing when they totally shut down and neglect you the next minute. Talk about a freaking roller coaster ride, right? Here at Women of Impact, we're on a mission to help you build your confidence one episode at a time. So if this podcast is of impact to you in your journey towards living your absolute freaking best badass life, then I'd love to know. So leave me a rate or review when you can. It's the best way to let people around know what you think. And it also helps other women find and discover Women of Impact. You're not really that important to them at all when it comes to sex, apart from you're, you're an achievement. And that can be very confusing for people because they think, oh, my God, I've just met the most charming person. And, and then they switch. And that's where things get quite dangerous. Today, what I want to do is break down your 13 signs that can help people identify that, yes, you are sleeping with a narcissist. So let's start with number one. They see sex as gaining power. Narcissists have to have control. And this is to do with their ego. They have very fragile sense of self. They have very low self-esteem. They feel more comfortable being in control. And they didn't feel this way when they were being brought up. They have a lot of trauma. So actually control is very important for them because that's where they feel safe. So actually controlling you through sex and having all the power in sex is very important to them. You would think if someone is selfish sexually that they would just be focused on their own pleasure. That's not necessarily the way with a narcissist. Sometimes they're very much self-focused on their own pleasure, but actually sometimes they're really focused on giving you pleasure because your orgasm is actually about them. It's not your orgasm for them to please you and for them, for you to be enjoying it and for them to be happy that you're enjoying it because that would be empathy. They're actually proud of themselves because they've managed to accomplish something. So this is about their achievement. And that's where it can kind of feel funny because once they've accomplished that, so you might be screaming in pleasure and then you're having the best time and you're like, oh my gosh, this is such an attentive partner, but then they can go very cold. And that's where you actually get a lot of distancing. And then also some narcissists are not like that at all. They're not trying to achieve in the bedroom. It's all about their pleasure. So narcissists come in all shapes and sizes. It's quite black and white though. It's, um, it's either like really good at pleasing you or actually terrible and completely neglecting your needs. They have to be in control. It's all about them mm-hmm. because actually the root of everything in the bedroom is about them feeding their own ego, them being in control. So, um, so actually you're not really that important to them at all when it comes to sex, apart from you're, you're an achievement, whether it be that they've managed to get you there in the first place, or they've managed to get you to orgasm and therefore it's another achievement for them. So very self-centered at the start of the relationship or the situationship or, or whatever's happening with you and the narcissist, um, they'll try and 
pursue. And actually it's about conquering, conquering the person that they're trying to, um, they're trying to get. And there's going to be a, not, a lot of manipulation, a lot of like, how do I win this person over? They can be very much people pleasers because they are wounded. They feel a very fragile sense of self and therefore pleasing you and, and winning you over is really important, particularly in the early stages. And that can be very confusing for people because they think, oh my God, I've just met the most charming person. And, and then they switch. And then that's really traumatic for people because people have often emotionally bonded at this point. And actually, interestingly enough, even if it's just a four-week romance, hormones have already kicked in and people have already felt bonded to the narcissist. So actually when that person then pulls away and distance themselves, the withdrawal symptoms that people experience are horrendous. Mm -hmm. And that's where it becomes very addictive. And actually it's a bit like trying to get off crack, trying to convince yourself to get away from that narcissist, because usually people are then trying to win the love back and they're having withdrawal symptoms from the attention because the narcissist has put someone on a pedestal and it's, it's very confusing. And rather than people being able to step back and think about what's really happened here? Is this actually just a trauma bond? And am I actually just in an addictive cycle? They often are just an autopilot of trying to get the narcissist to give them what they were originally receiving from them, the attention, the validation. And this is a two-sided story here because actually it's trauma on both sides. The people who gravitate towards narcissists are people who have deep wounds in themselves. Um, probably not to the, the same extent because actually what we see with narcissists is that they probably probably have some element of brain damage because the trauma happens really early on. So we see some research has shown that there's differences in gray matter in the brain of a narcissist. And we don't tend to see that in, ter in terms of the people that they attract to. But what we do see in terms of the people that they attract to is also childhood trauma. So abuse or emotional neglect. So I think if people are drawn to narcissists, they should step back and just think about, okay, what happened in my early childhood? to lead me to be drawn to this individual. And I think it's really important to develop that kind of self-awareness of, okay, why am I drawn to this individual rather than just being like, okay, this individual is not treating me right. It's really awful. And, you know, and going into that kind of um, victim mentality, I think people need to also take responsibility for, okay, why am I drawn to this um, person, which can then at least leave them in a position to be like, okay, I need to look out for the signs really early on and I need to try to stay away from narcissists because I'm particularly prone to being drawn towards them. A trauma bond means that you bond deeply, particularly people who establish a trauma bond have a deep, profound emotional bond to someone who makes them feel fantastic at times. Mm -hmm. And then it's a roller coaster. They also make them feel horrendous and awful. So missing a narcissist, even when you break away from them, it's a really common thing. Actually leaving a narcissistic, as you know, leaving these relationships are very tough. Um, you know, on average, because they've come up with an average and this is probably not very accurate, but they say it can take about seven times to try and leave. So what we see with people trying to leave these relationships is they try and they try and they go back and they fail and they try. And some people actually are able to get away much faster depending on what they're willing to accept. But actually it's that addictive tendency and that trauma bond and the feeling of it being like crack and the craving for the affection and the validation that someone once um, once received is the trauma bond kicking in. And it's very much about what happened for that individual in childhood. So it's important for people to look at childhood and think, 
okay, where was a similar pattern playing out, even if it wasn't so obvious? Because actually some people have had very supportive parents who love them and have done so many great things for them, but their parents might be emotionally immature and therefore they dissociated at times and neglected their children's needs and didn't see their emotions. So actually what we see with people who go into these kind of relationships are often quite severe childhood emotional neglect and childhood emotional neglect is really invisible. It's not abuse. And actually, you know, there might be abuse for someone as well, but for some people, it's so confusing because they'll say, but my parents were nice. My parents were supportive. My parents gave me everything, but actually quite likely, it's quite likely that they didn't respond to the person's emotions. And that's why this person has gone on to then seek out patterns of similar patterns where actually someone will also neglect their emotions. Um, So while the relationship might look very different to what they've received in childhood, there's always a link there. Wow. And as you're breaking that down as well, it makes me really um, realize why the sex component of this discussion is so important because I can see that as actually being then a very strong manipulative tool that they're using to keep you to come back. Because in that moment, you, you feel when you think of the word intimacy, you think of being naked with somebody else and really, you know, bearing yourself to them. And so you think I've just been intimate with them. Like I've just spilled my vulnerability and here they are making me feel amazing. And so that trauma bond, like you were saying, if you were getting the neglect when you were younger and now here is somebody that's making you feel amazing temporarily, but still making you feel amazing. It's such a powerful tool for them to be used against. Yeah, completely. And also sex is sometimes the way, the only way that some people can connect intimately. So when you say intimacy to someone, it's a really interesting word because if you say to someone, what does intimacy mean to you? Some people will say being naked, sexual intimacy. A lot of people will say that. Other people will say emotional intimacy and they'll say into me, see, you see into me. Um, so like different people, you know, and there's a whole, whole, range of different types of intimacy, but a lot of people will only associate intimacy with sex. So they think you're you're talking about sex. And when you see these um, superficial relationships or relationships where people are less developed emotionally, sex can be a way that they can be very intimate and really let themselves go with the other person. So actually some people will connect on a very deep level sexually when they're, when they're not able to connect in other ways. So they can't actually connect on an, in an emotional way. So if someone gravitates towards narcissists, then there is probably some limitations in relation to how they're able to connect emotionally with people and therefore they feel more able, more capable of connecting um, emotionally. For narcissists, sex can often be a great way, a very comfortable way of them connecting. And therefore, the emotions come out in, in sex. And that's where the emotional bond is often created. But actually, outside of sex, there's often very little emotional bond. So there hasn't been conversations that help people feel very safe, conversations where people have felt really understood and where they get to know people and also conversations of overcoming conflict, which is a really important part of a healthy relationship. So sex is often very key for the narcissist because they know they can communicate in that way. They know they can, they can connect in that way. So actually they're having some of their intimacy needs met where they're not able to do it in other ways. No, we're just getting started. We're only on number one. You've blown me away. All right. So number two, they need to be idolized. Yeah, they really do need to be idolized. So narcissists 
are people who have fragile senses of self, fragile egos. So actually, if you can validate them and feed into their ego, fantastic. Um, it's good if you are a person of some kind of status, um, someone that they perceive as having some kind of status. So they'll either perceive you as very attractive, um, so physically very attractive, or that you know the right social circle, or you have the right contact, contacts, or that you have achieved academically or in your career, or you're, you're something that they or not. So then early on, they will pick you as being, okay, that person's going to make me feel better about myself. So there will be a reason why you are targeted. And, um, and it's a, it's quite a shallow reason. It's just about if I can get this person, it means I'm good enough. So they're just trying to sort out their self-esteem needs. And, um, and that's a very deep need in them. If they go into auto, autopilot, you will literally, if you're at a party, and the narcissist has targeted you, they will follow you around. They will like be discreetly or less discreetly, depending on how good they are. But they will literally have full laser focus on you. They will, even if they're talking to other people, they will see where you are and they will seek you out and they will be doing lots of manipulative things so that they can, again, conquer you. And, um, and this makes them feel really good and it makes them feel worthy. I am so glad that you said that. And I'm glad for this reason. I don't know about you, but I hear so many women that feel like they aren't any good. And that's why they ended up with a narcissist, that they don't have any value. And that's why they ended up being chosen. But it's actually in everything that you're saying is the complete opposite. In the beginning, they will idolize you and they will perceive you. They absolutely have to perceive you as being better than them um, because you're you're a challenge or you're someone to conquer. And they're not going to choose you if they think that you're not worthy at all. This is where actually, if you go on a date with a narcissist and they've already decided, you know, that you're not good enough, you'll get this, this look. And the look is like a devaluing look. So they'll devalue you straight away. So they'll, uh, you'll walk into the date, you'll sit down, they'll sit down. Maybe you've met online and they're expecting, you know, something different. And then in their eyes, you'll just see this like very dismissive, like you are not good enough for me look and um and actually i think it's a lot of people will will see this and they'll feel this um and different people will respond differently to it some people you know who are looking for a very healthy partnership will just be like that is that's just rude <laughs> like they will wrap up the date and be like love to meet you goodbye and never contact them again someone with low self esteem might actually feel that they need to prove their worth and they might then chase the narcissist. Mm. And then, and then actually that person could end up in some kind of cycle with the narcissist because they're trying to prove that they're worthy um, of being with this person who has looked down on them and who has um, this kind of grandiose idea of self and has already decided that you're not worthy. So it's interesting what happens. Uh, you're not going to get that look if they want to conquer you and they've already perceived you as being higher status. So there's a whole status game that goes on with the narcissist. So you're either, you're either on a pedestal, which is usually what happens at the start, or you're discarded straight away. But it's it's very much about how valuable are you to them. Wow. And then I assume that then leading into the bedroom, it's that that also comes with the conquering is that when they conquer you and they have really pleased you in bed, you're now in awe of them even more. And so that's where they feel the idolization. Yeah. So it might be that actually they really have had to chase you and you weren't that interested. So it might, you know, depending on the the dynamic between the two of you, they might have had to work pretty hard. And then actually, because they have worked pretty hard, you kind of start to fall for it. You know, who doesn't want to be 
you know, told they're wonderful and all these like all these lovely things. So actually a lot of people, when they start dating a narcissist, they often have this feeling of where have you been all my life? Where has this person been all my life? Oh my God, finally someone who's so open, who's, you know, so lovely and kind and um, all of these great things because often narcissists are, are charismatic. Um, they really need to prove themselves socially. So they build them up, build themselves up to be very, very charismatic. Um, so the beginning of the relationship is, is fantastic. It's like a fairy tale. And then, and then they don't want you anymore, which is devastating because it's so confusing. How can someone just drop you? You haven't done anything wrong at all. And that could be, you could be dropped over, over anything, but usually it's when you start to reciprocate. Right. So how do you know in those moments? Because I always like to play devil's advocate and be like, well, sometimes there's really good men out there and there's really good partners out there. And so how do you differentiate in those moments with just like someone, if you have low self-esteem, when someone says something nice to you, it feels good. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're a narcissist that's looking to be idolized. Yeah, that's a really good question. So the intensity, mm. it's going to feel mm. very intense with narcissist and there's going to be a lot going on. It's going to be intense emotions. You get swept up in this kind of fairy tale of like something happening at 90 miles an hour. It's very, very fast. A healthy relationship is going to start in a much slower, healthier way. It might be boring for someone who is used to going into quite highly um, dramatic relationships. So actually it can be quite hard for people to transition into healthier relationships because it can often feel very boring for them. But look out for the intensity because that's a sign that actually there's something going on here that's about people's self-esteem. And that's something to look Mm. out for because that's an indicator of trauma. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it. 
especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. And so would you advise in those situations, let's say you have the intensity, you don't necessarily want to judge them yet. You don't want to necessarily label them immediately. Um, Would you advise someone to then maybe communicate, hey, I really like you, but let's maybe slow down and then see how they react to that? Yeah, absolutely. Just just slow everything right down. And a respectful person, an empathic person mm-hmm. is going to respect that. Um, too many messages too soon. I would, I, what I always say to people is just don't do any texting at all at the start of a dating oh. scenario. So you connect with someone. Yes, you probably have to send a few messages just to kind of filter and see, has the person any banter? You know, <laughs> Do you want to actually meet the person? But then jump on a phone call and then and then speak to them on the phone. And then once you get off the phone, step back and ask yourself, how did that person make me feel? Was it good? Was it bad? You know, just check in on yourself emotionally, do body scan. What do you feel in your stomach? Because actually a narcissist will trigger emotions in you. Could be very positive emotions, could be some negative ones, but just make some notes on that. Write down how you felt. Um, If it's a bit of a roller coaster and it's quite intense and you're feeling a lot of emotions, then there's something funny going on. So even if you write down, this feels so amazing. I like this person so much. That should be like a bit of a flag for you. I mean, the thing is that it's very exciting to meet yeah. someone new who you're compatible with. So I'm not saying that healthy relationships are boring and not exciting. <laughs> right. right? And that's the one you should be in. <laughs> yeah, but it's just going to be what you're reporting is going to be a bit more normal. So actually, a mm. good way of judging this is speak to your friends about this new person and then Listen to how you came across. So just reflect on the words that you said. And also sometimes the responses from other people give you clues as to are you going into a bit of a delusional, you know, fantasy of who this person is, or actually are you being quite realistic? Um, so how you speak to your friends about this person, if they're just a nice person, is going to be, yeah, they were lovely. We we had a lot of common, it was really fun. Yeah, we kissed, we had some chemistry. I'm just gonna see how it goes. You know, just normal, normal conversation. If you have met a narcissist, you're going to be like, I think it's the one. Oh my God, there's so much chemistry. The sex is fantastic. He's messaging me all the time. We just can't stop talking. We spent three hours on the phone the other night. And there's like, you sound a bit obsessive. You know, there's something obsessive going on in you, which is why I like to take the blame off the narcissist because I think that a lot of people are focusing on how bad narcissists are. And there's this overuse of the term. A lot of people are just calling people narcissists even even when they don't meet the full diagnostic criteria of NPD. So actually, I think people need to, first of all, recognize that narcissists um, have huge trauma within themselves. And there's a lot of shame there. And and that's why they are the, the way that they are. But actually, I think it's really important for people to see the trauma within themselves and actually think about 
when are they going into these obsessive cycles where they're idolizing the narcissist as much as the narcissist is idolizing them? So what happens? Because I'm going to picture my audience right now feeling a little like victimized or like it blame that it's them choosing, which I, I understand what you're saying. But let's actually, if you don't mind going a little deeper here, when you have empathy for somebody, right? I think it, that is beautiful. That can, is a really important part of the human be, be, being. Yeah. I love that. The problem is what happens if you do start to show empathy to narcissists? Isn't that then just almost giving them a either the power back or letting them off the hook? This is a really important point here because actually let's talk about the dynamic and who who attracts to narcissists. So the people who attract to narcissists are very sensitive souls. So they're emotionally very sensitive people and often empaths. Um, but the childhood trauma that they have experienced is somewhat similar to what the narcissist has experienced. And that's where this extremely hot dynamic comes into it. So people are drawn to narcissists because there's something familiar going on. On a subconscious level, they are resonating with one another. They have experienced very similar childhood trauma because the narcissist is less, far less susceptible to change. Perhaps their trauma has happened earlier and they're less likely to change. Um, it's, it's very unlikely for a narcissist to change. So the empath, probably less trauma, uh, far more willing to reflect on their behaviors, far more willing to see actually two-sided um, parts of the story, far more willing to go therapy, far more willing to change, far more willing to be compassionate. Um, so we've got kind of the, we've got kind of like, like for like is attracting, but also opposites are attracting. So I don't want to sound like I'm blaming the person who goes for the narcissist at all, but actually some level of un self-understanding and just being able to reflect on your history, your past, what, what might have happened is just really helpful because then you can actually kind of, um, first of all, have empathy for yourself. And it's not your fault that actually you end up um, going for a narcissist because you haven't had the best cards dealt to you. You've had some stuff happen early in life that was incredibly difficult and therefore you've got, you've got deep trauma. Um, that you need to work on. And then also, it's really important to have empathy for the narcissist as well. And this is something that's almost never talked about. And I like to talk about it because actually, I like to highlight how much they suffer. And they don't really tend to do a very good job of being able to explain that to people because there's so much shame. So you rarely get to understand how much a narcissist is actually suffering on a daily basis. They hide it very well, but it is actually happening. So you've got two people. And so you're, you know, bringing your trauma into this relationship or this dating situation. They're bringing their trauma and they're really suffering. They're suffering so much that actually they can't really respond to your emotions very well. Um, so it's not really their fault either. And I think it's important that you actually have that empathy, but then keep your distance because they're not going to change and you really need to be realistic about it. Um, but actually, I think it's really good for people to kind of see both sides of the story and just understand the dynamic and understand why have you and this other person attracted in the first place. Now, you don't need to try and explain this to a narcissist. That's not going to help them change um, because some people would think, OK, but maybe if I just empathize more. Um, and actually, that's a huge problem is, is that the people who are attracted to narcissists have so much empathy that they end up putting up with way too much in these relationships. So so you are an empath if you end up going for narcissists typically. So when people are in this day and age saying the word narcissist, what they really mean is low empathy and self-centered. 
And that low empathy and self-centeredness is just coming from not being able to mature properly because they didn't have the right support when they were children. And that's not, that's not their fault. Everyone was highly narcissistic when they were children. You know, it's part of growing up. We, we later develop our empathy and we later develop the ability to actually, you know, see other people's perspectives. And, um, which is why kids don't necessarily care if their parents are tired. They just want to be fed. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, so the narcissist, they just, you grew up and you grew past them and, and they didn't, they didn't have that capacity in them. Um, some research, as I mentioned before, suggests that their brains were damaged actually from the trauma that they experienced. And, and that's why they can't really empathize or see things from other people's perspective. And it's also why they tend to have addictions as well. So actually a part the, the way that gray matter is in their brain means that it actually feeds into not being able to, um, to regulate in a way where they can stay away from addictive behaviors or substances and just have the compassion to know that actually this is just from trauma and um and they've really suffered Ooh, um god this is really tough and but I, we need to keep talking about it. it how can you have compassion for someone though if they've been absolutely abusive to you because yeah. i've been with somebody who was verbally abusive but i was young i was out of it fairly quickly but when if you've been if you've had kids you've been with them for 20 years they verbally abused you they've threatened you they've maybe physically abused you um i can't want to just stick up the finger the middle finger to them and not yeah. have em- any empathy for them yeah you can do that too that's okay <laughs> okay <laughs> so okay this is a great great question so first of all if you get out really soon then it's not about you it's about them and you can be far away from them and be like that's awful that they suffered that much right, in yeah. early life and they're still suffering on a daily basis and that they weren't able to treat you correctly, but you got out and therefore you can be far away having compassion because you didn't get too deep into it. If you're deeply traumatized and you've been in a relationship for 40 years with a narcissist and you get out, just focus on you. You don't need to have any compassion for them at all. You know, they've probably done too much damage for you to be able to get there. If you ever get to the point of forgiveness, then that's great too. You know, that just shows that actually you've done a lot of work and you've reached the acceptance stage of accepting that you were in an absolutely horrendous situation and that you've gotten out and you've gotten to this place of actually being able to forgive them. That's an amazing place to get to, but it's not somewhere to aspire to Mm -hmm. at all. Some people get there. It's not, you know, as a therapist, I'm never going to be saying to someone, you need to forgive your abusive ex-partner. Like that's just not a goal that I would try and encourage anyone to set. But if someone manages to get there because maybe not enough damage has been done and they got out very early, you know, then they can kind of realize or you don't even have to have compassion. You, you know, just for you to understand that they've suffered kind of gives you a bit of an explanation. But be careful with that one because a lot of people who are with narcissists then want to give more empathy to them. And they're like, right. oh, but they've suffered. I'll just care for them even more. And then I tell them, I'll tell them how much I understand that they have suffered. And then maybe they'll be like, oh, she understands me. I'll, I'll stay with them. But actually don't let it be a reason to um, give them more love and give them more power, more power over you. Yeah. So number three, they are right and you are always wrong. This is a hard one because this is where gaslighting comes into it. And it could be you know, just it could be minor things where it'll happen in the early stages after the idolization um, stage or could even happen during the idolization stage. But there's going to be some subtle ways of them basically telling you know, telling you that they're right and, and you're wrong. Um, they can't accept actually that 
they're wrong. And this is kind of um, a psychosis that kicks in where they actually start believing their own delusions and they have to be able to buy into them being right because that protects their ego. So it is a little bit delusional and some people find it really hard to understand how much they lie, but actually they seem to believe their own lies. They seem to be able to convince themselves that their reality is the reality. Mm-hmm. And that's why they are often able to tell you that you're you're um, wrong and, and that helps them feel in control. And you can't convince them otherwise, right? I mean, it's just not worth really having that conversation. Um, if you feel like you managed to convince them otherwise, it's probably they've probably agreed with you to get what they want. So right. there's so much manipulation going on. It's just better, you know, it's easier early on to just you know, try to have the reasonable conversation. And when you see that that reasonable conversation is not going in the way that you need it to, you know, it's not going in a two-way conversation because they're just sticking to their reality, then it's good to distance yourself at that point. But if you're, if you've had years of being gaslit, then that's where you start to think you're crazy at times because they're trying to, they're so persuasive that their version of reality is accurate. Mm, I'd actually completely forgotten where the word gaslighting came from. Do you mind explaining it? Yeah, so gaslighting came from basically this man who was trying to convince, I don't know if it was his wife, but his wife that, uh, let's just say his wife, that she was going crazy. So he kept turning down the gaslight and then she, you know, would see the light being dimmed and, and it was, she would question her reality and, and he kept doing that to kind of help her feel like she was going a bit mad. And then that's where gaslighting came from because actually you feel like you're going a bit mad when someone tries to gaslight you. Yeah, God, I've completely forgotten. And hearing you explain it again, I was like, oh, it's such an interesting way of really manipulating someone, right? Making you think it's about you and that you're going crazy. And so with this this sign of, you know, that that you can never be right because they always have to have to be right, um, really then explains the gaslighting technique that they're going to use on you because they have to make sure that you don't ever question them and that you question yourself instead. Absolutely. And because you don't behave in this way, you will want to consider their perspective because you have mm. the ability to consider their perspective and they don't have the ability to consider other people's perspectives. So when they say let's just say you were in a cab and they were very rude to the cab driver and you get out of the cab and you say, do you mind if we just have a quick chat about what happened in the cab? Um, I felt a bit uncomfortable, like the cab driver was trying to make some small talk and you just cut them off and you just started talking to me and it was very, you know, I felt it was a little bit rude. You know, can we please, can you please be more polite? Um, they will be like, what are you talking about? That never happened. I didn't turn to you. I, di- I didn't cut them off. No, I was listening. And it would literally be like delusional stuff that never happened, but they'll be so persuasive. And the reason you'll think for a second, wait, are they right? Did I get, you know, was I mistaken? Is because actually you're very good at considering other people's perspective. And, uh, and also you wouldn't do this. You would, it's not in your nature to start making up lies about particularly small mm. situations. Of course, sometimes it can be big situations. So therefore you'll spend a moment to be like, oh, wait, are they, is, is their version of reality actually accurate? And am, am I am I missing something? So you'll, you'll reflect on these situations and question yourself because actually you're into having two-way conversations. So you want to see your perspective and you want to consider the other person's perspective. Narcissists are not able to do that. And in conflict, it will always be about them. That's literally what I was going to ask you about the perspective thing because sometimes... You just have a different perspective to it than someone else, right? What may be rude to one person isn't rude to another. So 
Um, so the idea of the gaslighting is when they ha- they can't even acknowledge your perspective on that situation. I mean, it's just bizarre lies sometimes that, yeah, they cannot acknowledge your perspective, but it appears that they are convincing themselves of a new reality. And that's where it seems to be a bit delusional that actually they they are experiencing a kind of psychosis, a kind of very, very minor psychosis in these in these modes because they are believing their own reality. And that's why they're so convincing when they're gaslighting you. It's not just about manipulation. It's not this conscious thought that they have where I'm like, I'm going to convince her. I'm going to tell some lies to persuade her. Mm-hmm. It appears to actually be far more delusional than that and that to protect their ego instantly they believe their own reality. And um, and that's why gaslighting is so persuasive and makes you question yourself so much. Mm. Yeah, because as you even dis- um, given the example of the cab, I was thinking about when I first met my husband and he met my family. I come from a very loud Greek family. And so he meets them and I think, oh, they love him. He loves them. We leave. And my husband's like, they're so rude. And I was like, what? How did you perceive them as rude? He's like, they cut me off when I talk. They don't even listen. I'm like, oh no, that's just how the Greeks are, right? And so like, as you were describing, I was like, oh, but we were open to hearing each other's thoughts and ideas. It wasn't like, what do you mean? And we didn't, didn't like dismiss each other. Is that like the, the, yeah. the fine difference? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is where the when you have your first conflict with a narcissist, it's not going to be mm. not going to be productive because actually conflict is very healthy in relationships. The first interesting test of a relationship is conflict. And actually, how is that person going to be with your emotions, with your opinions, with your perspectives? How is that going to pan out? And it's not going to be comfortable with the narcissist. They are going to have to win. All right. Number four, they believe they know you more than you know yourself. Oh, this one hit me hard. And I believe even to go into detail, you said what you are, what you think and what you believe. Mm-hmm. They just start telling you things about yourself and that's to feel better about themselves and to, to put you down. And so they have control because they have to have the power here. They have to be the better one. They have to feel like they're the better one. So they might say, oh, Lisa, um, you know, you've like really, you're really experimenting with your style, aren't you? <laughs> and I was like, and you're like, you're like, no, I love my style. I know my style really well. What the hell is this person talking about? But imagine if you have low self-esteem, you will be like, oh, maybe they maybe they know better because they can say it with a really nice tone. So it'd be like, oh, maybe they are going to be my guide. Mm. Maybe they're going to guide me. So I'm, I feel, you know, so I am a better version of myself. And um, when they start to do this, you're either going to take it or you're not going to take it. Um, so you're, you're either going to be someone who's like, well, no, I'm very happy with my style. I'm very com- comfortable with it. You know, I've established this over time. I, I feel great about it. And they're not going to like that at all because then they realize actually they can't control you or else you're going to be really submissive and you're not going to have the confidence to actually see what's going on. And you're going to be like, okay, like, well, what do you think I should wear? What do you think I, you know, how do you think I should dress? Or, or you might not say that. You might just come out in something a bit, different the next time and hope for their approval. So there might be like subtle changes in your behavior because you're terrified of being criticized by them, you know, depending on where your self-esteem is at. So, so actually they'll do this, I know better than you know yourself and telling you what you are in order for you to, um, it's kind of a way to belittle you really, to, to 
So they have the control again. Is that what then happens maybe slowly over time where they maybe make a comment about what you're wearing and it's not a big enough comment. It's not like a big argument. Maybe you go like, maybe I am wearing something a little revealing. And so you next time you wear something that's a little less revealing. And then by the time you know it, you have a year, two years, three years of this, you can no longer recognize yourself. Yeah, I think that's that's a very typical pattern, particularly when people fall into long term relationships. It kind of, you know, it kind of gradually like eats away at mm. you. And I mean, it's awful. People lose their sense of self. It can happen really quickly, though, as well. Um, you know, people get very deep in these relationships, you know, within a month. People are like are, are often hooked. And there's often a lot of fear um, of abandonment, actually, on both sides. So both people are terrified of being abandoned and they do ridiculous things in order to not be left. Um, so actually the person who's gone for the narcissist will accommodate the behavior, the wants, the needs, and yes, start to dress differently, talk differently, do a lot of different things in order to try and stay in the relationship um, because they're terrified of being abandoned when actually they should be running from the relationship. Yeah. So how do you know in those moments, because you actually said, I'd like to go a little deeper on this one, Maybe someone's giving you advice or maybe someone, right, is like, well, maybe they're right. And maybe someone's trying to advise you in a healthy way. Where's that difference between someone trying to advise you in a healthy way versus someone's trying to control you and manipulate you? Yeah, that's a really good question. First of all, if someone is trying to, you know, just offer you some advice, usually it comes from a place of love or care and there's room for that two-way conversation. So if someone is being a bit like, dominant in, in saying, oh, you know, what about this dress or like, what about this outfit? And they're, you know, they're taking it a bit too far. You know, if you say to this person, look, I appreciate you're trying to help me, but I don't really need any guidance on my dress sense. They will just accept it and they'll just be like, oh, okay, sorry, I was just trying to help. And then that's it. But actually the narcissist is not going to take kindly to losing control. So they're going to you know, maybe be passive aggressive, like be a bit annoyed and not actually take your feedback about how their behavior has impacted you very well at all. Oh, yeah, that's great. And so the passive aggressiveness, how would that pot potentially look? The passive aggressiveness is just like, again, looks of disapproval, uh, ghosting you even, um, you know, just something that is going you know, quite cold on you or just, just not a normal train, not normal interaction with someone. Yeah. Ooh, that's super powerful. Um, okay. Number five, they won't want to communicate about sex. Mm. Yeah. They won't want to communicate about sex. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that's it. <laughs> yeah, they really want. Well, okay. So, I mean, first of all, the sex might be amazing. You might never need to communicate about sex because for some narcissists, sex is their mastery. It is their hobby. It is their talent. They have become very accomplished in it because it makes them feel really good and it, it really boosts their ego. So you might never need to talk about sex. Sex might be perfect. And that is actually great in some ways, but it's terrible in other ways because that's what's going to keep you glued and very addicted to that relationship. It's going to be one of the things that's going to really mean that you find it quite difficult to leave. But in a relationship, if you're in a relationship with a narcissist and they're neglecting your sexual needs and it's all about them and you tell them what you like and then they do it once and then they forget or they seem like they forget. They haven't forgotten. They just don't care. So you might bring it up with them and they will probably feel quite awkward about the conversation. Um, they may or may not look awkward, but they, they're not sort of kind of interested in making you happy. They're not interested in actually having this mutual, um, mutually satisfying sexual relationship. So 
they're either just going to be dismissive or things won't change. It's just not going to be a productive conversation. Mm. So how do you know, though, in that situation, because I, again, love playing devil's advocate, that maybe they're just embarrassed or maybe they're like, they feel a bit of shame where they're like, oh my God, I think I've, I thought I've been pleasing her this whole mm. time and I haven't. Yeah. And so that's what shuts them down from communicating. Yeah. Okay. So that's a really good point. Um, sex can cause shame, a lot of shame for a huge amount of people. And we often as humans, almost all of us have some kind of sexual trauma in some shape, shape or form because actually a lot of things like genitals are ashamed from a very early age. There's a lot of messages that are shameful around sex. So we, we all have shame related to sex, some people more so than others. So if conversations about sex feel very shameful for someone and they shut down, then if they have, if they're capable of empathy and they care about their relationship, they're going to find a way to communicate with you in some shape or form. They're not going to just completely ghost this topic where you feel incapable of being able to return to it. They'll, they'll try to communicate with you in some way, um, even if it's just text messages or, you know, or something or, or trying something different or, you know, they still want to fix things in their relationship. Whereas the narcissist, um, you've already criticized them for their performance mm -hmm. sexually. Like, don't ever do that uh, because, well, or do do that. And then you realize the relationship's not going to work and you get your, your exit. But their ego is so fragile that if they feel criticized in relation to sex, it ruins them. You will destroy them. And, and it's very, it's not a nice situation. So the behavior that you'll then see, I mean, they might just ghost you forever and you may never speak to them ever again. Like it can be that extreme or it will just be that that topic never gets broached again and they give you a clear signal that that's not a safe topic to to broach with them. So um, the difference is that the extreme reaction when it comes to shame being triggered about sex, it's to do with their fragile ego and, and it's really bruised their ego and it's just not safe to to talk about this topic. And as you were talking, I was thinking maybe they would show like almost disrespect or disdain for you for bringing it up versus yeah. shame, which is, I think, quite a different uh, response. Yeah, that's actually a really good point that they will make you feel bad for bringing up the topic mm. because then you're not going to you're not going to bring it up again. And, um, and that's a, an ego defense that actually if you are the problem, they're not the problem. And therefore, they haven't done anything to perform poorly <laughs> when it comes to sex because um, that would be too difficult for them to take on board that they're not perfect. Mm, yeah. Um, all right. Number six, your needs and emotions don't matter. Yeah, it's the problems with empathy. And, you know, this is what we're seeing with, as I mentioned before, the, the, the differences with grey matter, that it's possible that narcissists from a young age have not developed the ability to empathize to the way that's most ideal for sustaining healthy relationships. And therefore, they are just incapable of feeling the relevant amount of empathy to be able to make your needs matter. And this doesn't mean they can't be empathic because actually they can attend to your emotions very well. Some narcissists do, but when it's about their behavior and how their behavior impacts you neg negatively, that's where their empathy gets so clouded because they need to protect their ego. They can't see anything to do with your emotions because they've been triggered. And so that just means keep shutting you down? Yeah. It means like they just cannot see your emotions. They can only see in, in those moments, they feel shame. They feel embarrassment. They feel not good enough um, because you're telling them that something that they did was not good enough. And that's huge for them because that makes them feel in, inadequate. It reminds them of the, the, the neglect that they experienced when they were young. They were sent messages of not feeling good enough when they were little. And, um, and that, 
really activates huge trauma, but you're not going to hear that from them. They're not going to be able to articulate that that's what's going on, but you're going to see huge defenses when when that happens. Wow. You've mentioned actually gray matter a few times. Do you mind actually just explaining that a little? There is some research studies that suggest that there's differences in gray matter in the narcissist compared to someone who doesn't have high traits of narcissism. And also this is just some research. So, you know, we actually need a lot more research, a lot more brain scans for narcissists to actually see, you know, what are the differences. But there is some differences that you can see on brain scans where you're like, okay, this is interesting. There are some parts of the brain that are related to addictive behavior and capacity for empathy that are different in narcissist compared to um, non-narcissists. That's not to say that people can't change. People are incredibly capable of capacity for change and the brain is very neuroplastic and we can really rewire the brain if we're motivated to do so. The problem with narcissists is they're often not motivated to actually change. It's too difficult for them, causes too much shame. They don't respect authoritative figures enough to be able to confide in them and feel safe so they get the right support and guidance in order to change. We tend to only see narcissists in therapy when their relationship break down, breaks down. That's tends to be the only sign, only time that they turn up for, for therapy, um, because they don't really want to seek guidance from any, from other people. People who are on the opposite side, who gravitate towards relationships with narcissists are far more capable of change. Um, but actually change can still also be very tough. Um, but that's not to say that they can't change what's happened in their brain in early childhood as a result of trauma. So why would a narcissist go to a therapist then if they don't ever want to admit that they're wrong or anything's wrong with them? So we tend to get phone calls from narcissists when a relationship is breaking down. So their partner has given them an ultimatum, they're threatening to leave or their partner has already, already left and they're in huge distress and they can't cope and they will do anything to bring that relationship back mm. intact because actually they're abandoned and narcissists really fear abandonment. So like if you ignore a narcissist, it's very uncomfortable for them. If they, if they have feelings for you, if they have emotional ties to you, it's going to be it's going to be difficult for them. So actually, when you leave the relationship or you give them an ultimatum, it triggers their fear of abandonment and they will turn up for therapy in order to try and get you back because they know that's the thing that will probably work. But then they tend to use therapy as a place to sometimes brag about their achievements. Um, I've had people turn up, turn up for therapy where they've bragged about all of their affairs and try and use it as a stage. Of course, I've said, look, I'm really sorry, I can't work with you because this is not this is not therapy. I'm not going to listen mm, to all of these. Do you really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm not going to listen to you brag about all your affairs. You know, we're either, you're either, you know, turning off no more affairs and we're doing the work or, or we're not doing it. Yeah. Um, so actually narcissists don't stay very long in therapy unless a therapist will entertain this, um, mm. this ego boosting that they'll do. So they might just tell these self-praising stories and they like to have a bit of an audience. And that's where some narcissists will you know, pay every week to actually be heard and feel validated. But if a therapist calls them out on their bad behavior, then they're not going to stay in therapy. Uh, or they might, yeah, kind of glide through to therapy in some shape or form, but usually they're not ready to do the real work. If people have narcissistic traits, though, and they really are motivated to change, that's very different from narcissistic personality disorder. So they are you know, people with narcissistic traits are capable of change because actually we all have narcissistic traits. It is in all of us, but actually when people are damaged, those narcissistic traits are, you know, far greater than what is healthy. 